our first Sunday back in. Feels good anyway. Uh, the bonus, amen, a good preacher coming to the Word of God, uh, timely Word of God, amen, that's just a bonus, hallelujah. So, uh, amen, like Rome said today, man, you guys did good this morning. I was really happy, amen, people obeyed the rules uh, pretty much, amen, did what's right, and we just have to do that for a while. So just right after service, like you said, the door will be open, go ahead and exit. Fellowship outside, I encourage you to do that, but again tonight, just want to uh, say a couple things about Pastor Nickerson, his wife, again, been friends, close friends to me and my wife for years, been somebody I can call, have a relationship with. And I'm telling you, that's valuable. As you get older, you realize how valuable relationships are. But more than that, he's just a good man of God, good preacher, and we're privileged to have him tonight. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Much. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18. I'll remember to read it this time. <laughs> At the beginning of the sermon there. I'll tell you what, how you, this, this COVID-19 thing, uh, like I was sharing with you this morning, Mobile's a different place to pioneer in. And this COVID-19 thing has made it even harder. You know, folks don't open their door. They get the camera so they can spy on you out there. And, you know, you go to try to shake their hand, get, hey, can I pray for you? Get away from me. Don't touch me. It's like, even in Mobile, it's like that. So, but uh, pray for us. Hallelujah. Tonight, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on, on restoring, uh, restoring vision. When I was a teenager, I was incredibly disobedient in a quiet way to my parents. And one way I did it, they, you know, everyone had a bedtime. Well, my parents were really big on strictly enforcing the bedtime, even in teenagers. Well, I like to read. And so I remember for about two years' time, instead of going to bed when I should have gone to bed, I had a flashlight or a chem light or something, and I'd crack that thing, and I'd read for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, so it was great just being mom and dad. I got to do what I want. Until two years later when I was in school and realized I can't see this thinking chalkboard. That my vision had been affected because of the dim lighting. And so I remember, you know, told my mom. I didn't tell mom I was reading, staying up reading. I told her I couldn't see the chalkboard. <laughs> so go to the doctor's office and uh says man your eyes are messed up got some glasses and so i can remember so clearly that when i got the glasses stepped right out of the doctor's office and we're going home and i'm tripping out i'm saying i can see that tree i can see the leaves in the tree i can read that sign i can see that person oh they're ugly because my vision had been corrected. It had been restored because of these glasses. And, you know, sometimes that's what we need. Things happen in life, and our vision becomes impaired, and we need God to restore it. So I'm going to preach about that tonight. Let's open your heart. Let's read in uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 18. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Another translation reads and says, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint and run naked in the streets. And that's crazy. You know, I, I, there's times in my life I had no reason, or vision or, or had damaged vision, but I never ran around naked outside in chaos. It's a picture of chaos where people have no vision, nothing to direct their lives towards. So this kind of goes hands in hand with this morning uh, sermon about having no purpose. Uh, if you have no, you need to have a purpose, and God gives us that purpose, but you also need to have a vision to go along with that purpose. Now, the definition of vision uh, in Hebrew, there's a word called sh chazon that actually has three meanings. 
One of the meanings is an open revelation. People perish if there's no open revelation. Thank God that we have revelation from God, that He doesn't just save us and, and keeps us in the dark. You know, here it is. Uh, he's a friend to Abraham, and he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead of passing by and, and having a nice meal with Abraham, what does he do? He tells him. He gives him an open revelation. Listen, I'm going to blow that city away, uh, and this is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm going to do it. He even tells him. And why? Because he wants Abraham to pray. He knows Lot's in that city. That Lot is kind of jacked up and messed up at that time, that his family's there. He's concerned about that. He knows Abraham will pray. And so what does he do? He shares with his friend and gives him an open vision, a revelation of what's going to happen. He does the same thing to us so that we can have an open vision in things in, in our lives. You know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter if you're reading the book of Revelation or any other book. He can give you an open revelation. He doesn't keep things in secret of how he acts. You know, you ever hear someone, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're a new convert here, and you hear people, older converts, talk about how, well, well, that's not God. Well, how do they know that? Well, because God reveals himself in prayer. He reveals himself in preaching. He reveals himself in the, his own word. And he's not going to contradict what he says about himself and how he's, he says. It's not like he has the Ten Commandments, and, and he says, okay, all this stuff's bad, and then comes around later and says, well, you can go ahead and do this when it violates that. He's not going to do that. He reveals himself to us. He tells us everything that we need to know in time. You know, he, he, he openly says how we can have a good relationship with him. You're a sinner. This is the sins you've done. I sent my son to die for you, resurrected, and he wants to save you. Here's your good, here you go. It's not like it's a secret cult where you have all these steps you have to do. It's very open what we need to do, how we need to live. Another word for, for uh, vision is a dream. Not, not the kind of dream that you, you have in your sleep necessarily, but it, 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 it's something that's an aspiration, something that you can, you can cast your life towards. Amen? Uh, you know, you, you might have a dream home. You know, if you had no money, money wasn't an object. Everyone has a dream home. Most guys have this. Some ladies do too. You have exactly what you could, you could have if money was not an object, if you had no limit. You know, a young man might talk about his, his dream girl, the one that, uh, that, that he'd pick, you, you know, if he didn't look like that, that is. Um, that, that dream girl. <laughs> Can I say amen? It also means to have a mental picture, the ability to see in your mind's eye something that the way things ought to be, the way you desire, the way God has put something in your heart you want to see come to pass. It may not be how you are right now or how things are right now, but it's, it's, it's where you want them to be, where you need them to be, where God wants them to be. That is also another definition this, that this word Shazan means. The problem is, though, is that we come into this world blind. Can you say amen? We come into this world blind because we're born into sin. The longer you stay in sin, the longer you live in the dark. You know, there's these animals that, that uh, uh, live in the dark, and they have no eyes, in fact. Some of them, they might have eyes, but the eyes don't see. Now, I don't know if that's because in the beginning that's how those animals were created, or maybe they lived in the dark and they lost the capacity to be able to see because all that's around them is in the dark. 
There's these uh, caverns in Georgetown, Texas. And if you go in these caverns, they'll take you down to this one chamber that has all kinds of stalagmites and everything like that. And what they'll do is they'll turn the lights off. And you, it is so dark in there that you could touch your eyeball with your finger and not see. It is disconcerting. I'll tell you what, there's, a, there's nothing like if you've been in a pitch black where there's not an ounce of light. It's weird. It just does something to you. You know, your imagination starts going. You start thinking things are there that aren't there. You don't know, you know. You ever been as a kid, you're in your room, you're going to sleep, and you swear that the, 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 the coat on the chair waved to you, right? <laughs> Call your mom. <laughs> I'm scared. You probably done this with your kids, right? Turn the light on. W where is it? Turn the light out again. No, don't do it. There's nothing changed in the room. See, the problem is this. When you're in the darkness, logic doesn't matter. When you're in the dark and you're terrified, logic doesn't matter. Faith is thrown out the door many times, and that's how we are when we're in sin. We're in the dark. Our vision is darkened also. It says in Romans 1.21, because although they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. See, the Bible compares over and over again, darkness equals sin equals spiritual death. When Jesus gives parables, and he says, these healing be cast out into Darkness. No, 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 no. He doesn't say darkness. Outer darkness. Like, you're not coming back from there. That's how far in the dark it is. See, people that are in sin, they see life from a worldly perspective. They don't even think sins are wrong. When I was a sinner, there's things I did, I didn't even know were wrong. You'd have to convince me they were wrong. The Holy Spirit would have to convict me they were wrong. Why? Because everyone was doing it, man. Because my conscience had become numb to it. Because I was so much in the dark. Until the Holy Spirit comes, He convicts, someone tells you, and then all of a sudden it's like a light is turned on. Even if it's a small light in the darkness, and you can see it. Everyone can see that light. That's the light of the gospel. Helen Keller once said, it's a terrible thing to see and yet have no vision. See, when you're in sin, you don't have the ability to see things from a godly perspective until he opens your eyes. So Psalms 115, 4 through 6 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths they don't speak. They have eyes they don't see. They have ears they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. Now, contextually, that scripture is speaking specifically about idols. But how similar do people that are idolaters and worship idols become like the idol they worship? They become as blind, as deaf, as dead in their sense in detecting that which is right and wrong, detecting truth from lie because of that. It says Ephesians 1.18, the eyes, the eyes of your understanding have been enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, if you don't have vision, our, our scripture says that we perish. Now we read that and, and we think, oh my gosh, I'm going straight to hell. But that is not what that word perish there means. That is the ultimate thing that will happen if you continue that way. 
But it doesn't mean to die and perish in hell. It's a different Hebrew word, which is para. It has three meanings. It means to become naked, zero, or barren, or to go backwards. Now, how many of us want to become zeros? Right? Loser! No! No one wants to go backwards in life to, to, to grow less than what we are, to become less than what we are. And yet, if we have no vision, that is what occurs. You shrink as a person. But salvation, thank God for salvation. Thank God for not, not religion, but salvation. That we are brought into the light. That we can see that God opens our eyes and lets us see the way He sees. Feel the way He feels. Amen? Think the way He thinks. He opens, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to ourselves and to the lies that we used to believe. You ever sit there someday just thinking uh, about your life and what you used to be and then what you are now because of Jesus? The, the crazy stuff you used to think, you know, the before and after picture of yourself in your mind? You shouldn't be the same person. You shouldn't be like that person. In fact, that should be the alarm signal. When you start acting and being more like the old person, you better watch out. You better start getting on your hands and knees, praying to God, eat some carpet, pray and fast, do whatever you got to do, but not be like that old person. Don't be like that old dead man that, that Jesus buried when he saved you. Something I want to look at is impaired vision. Now, I'm going to use some, some vision terms, just physical ones, uh, uh, for the sake of the sermon to compare to spiritual conditions that we can have. So there's different kinds of, of uh, vision loss, of which I am now again familiar, besides nearsightedness. Nearsightedness is, of course, where you, cannot, you can only see what's close to you clearly, what involves you. Things down the road are blurry. You know, you may not properly factor or see how God sees when you're nearsighted. You might be farsighted. In other words, it's the opposite. Things up close are blurry. Things that are right there with you, you can't, you can't tell what they are. But there's things that are far down the road that you can, that you can see. Uh, you know, things that don't matter, things you're worried about, things that don't really matter that you see those things. But up close, you, you don't get it. You can look in a mirror and you don't see things about yourself that others can spot very clearly because you're farsighted. You might be uh, uh, cross-eyed, or they call it lazy eye. In other words, you may have one eye that's straight, another eye that, that points to one side. There's this one time, there's this, uh, there's this comedian named Marty Feldman, and this guy had the most jacked-up eyes you'd ever see. You ever, you ever see one of those old-world chameleons, the ones with the bulbous eyes that kind of poke out, and they, they, look every, they, they actually can see two different views on each side of their head. This guy, Marty Feldman, kind of looked like that. Eyes pointing like, I can't even make my eyes do it. Pointing like this, you know. I had, I had a friend of mine who's, who's cross-eyed. One eye points straight, one eye goes the other way. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I would do this number. Just to see which one turned to look at me. I never could figure it out. I always want to say, what do you see with that eye that goes over there? Does it, does it do anything? I, I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's not normal, having vision like that. Or, and then there's legally blind. People, they can see, kind of, but I wouldn't put them behind the wheel of a car. You know, they're legally blind. 
Sometimes all these things run in families. You pass them down. They're genetic. And in a sure enough time, you'll have that. See, there can be a time where, where you had vision, but then for some reason or another, you lose it or it becomes altered. Not necessarily for the better. It may become from lack of use or, or exercise. You have to keep on exercising vision. God has given you something. You have to continue to keep that perspective. God's perspective, because as we, heard, we sang in this song, there's so many distractions, amen? There's so many things that we could put our eyes on that would pull us away from what God would have us to put our attention on, the attention of our lives. It, you can have a loss of vision from uh, poor spiritual nutrition or uh, a spiritual appetite that causes your, your spiritual vision to dwindle or to become weak. What are you putting before your eyes or your ears? Wait a minute, Pastor. You're talking about ears or vision. What, what do ears have to do with vision? I get to it. It says in Matthew 6, 22 through 23, that the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, that your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that's in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? See, what you give your ear to and where your eye to, the eye gate and the ear gate is very important because that shapes and molds your vision. It makes your vision sharper and more acute for the things of God. Or when you start giving your ear or your eyes to things that are ungodly, it starts eroding and destroying that vision, changing that vision, to where no more do you even look at that thing, but you look at something else. Or you look at something that was good once, and now it's bad. It could be calling. It could be destiny. You know, this is how the ear-eye relationship works. You get around the wrong crowd. They start speaking into your life things about people, things about God, things about your pastor, things about headship, things even about close friends you once had. And it affects your vision. It affects how you think of things. Have you ever had that happen to you? You start getting drawn away. Maybe the Holy Spirit. And, and so now it's a struggle who you're going to choose. This thing seems so true. It agrees with what your flesh wants. And you have to make a decision. You have to do some surgery, amen? Your own eye surgery. I don't know about you, but there was a time I, I, I had contact lenses, and it was creepy putting them in. Something about touching your eyeball, man. You know, touching your own eyeball. Even with that plastic or whatever was in front of it, putting something in my eye was like, I can't do it. That's why I don't wear contacts anymore. <laughs> but you have to do your own eye surgery sometimes and adjust your vision. Say, God, if my life doesn't line up with what you say, then I am wrong. Now, we don't like that, do we? We want, we want to say I'm right. We want to throw out the excuses, the reasoning. But if it says this in here, beloved, you have to go with this no matter how much you believe something. Paul says that, listen, if an angel comes and tells you something and it's not in line with what the Word of God says, with what I've preached you, you don't go with that. But it sounds so good. It sounds believable. I like it. But it's not true. I don't feel this. Well, sometimes your feelings can lie to you. You ever, you ever been so sick you felt like you are going to die? Why are you here? Your feelings lied to you. Amen? You survived. A lack of reading or meditating on the Word of God, it changes your vision. 
doesn't strengthen it. Prayerlessness. Prayer is where God can get a hold of you and can show you things. Amen? It could be the spiritual environment you're in. It's not enough light. You become like one of those fish that maybe you, you have eyes, but you just can't see anymore. You've lost that ability because you've been in the darkness so long. And listen, it may not be your whole life, but it could be certain areas. You know, it's almost, almost like you're colorblind to certain truths. My, uh, my, my oldest son, Jeremy, he's in the Navy, and for a while he was going to try to go do some EOD team training. And part of the EOD team uh, test, uh, the test to do that training is red-green colorblindness. And guess what? He has red-green colorblindness, and he couldn't go through that training. Because you know what's kind of important? Clipping the green wire or the red wire. <laughs> yeah? Or connecting the wrong thing. It's the same thing for us. You could be blind in a certain aspect. Everything else is fine. But this area of life, you just don't see it. That's where you really need to get a hold of God. And, and listen, sometimes you have to trust what others tell you. you know, line it up with the Word of God. Don't just take someone's word for it necessarily. But you, need to, you do need to develop some people you can trust, godly people that can trust, some, that can check you. That when you're, you're not seeing things right, you can kind of sense it. You can say, hey, bro, hey, sis, listen. Here's the deal. This, this, and this. What do you think? This is what I'm seeing. They can, they can come alongside and say, nah, man. No, this is the deal. This is what the Bible says. Did you think of this? Did you think of that? And, and, and help you in that area of weakness. Amen? What was that here? It could be places you go that you, could, you shouldn't be. It could be physical or on the Internet. You know, how many folks, God forbid, I'm not, I'm not casting accusations here. Please understand. But here it is, the COVID-19 thing hits. Now they're stuck, and they got the computer. And they're going places on there. They ought not go. Reading things they ought not read, right? Giving themselves to spiritual appetites they, they have no business doing. Amen? Maybe it's the company you keep. It says in 1 Corinthians 15.33 that, that bad company corrupts good morals, or evil company corrupts good habits. What you touch, the Bible says, do not touch the unclean thing. There's certain things that we should not even be involved in. A bit. Not even a bit. You know, a lack of involvement in the kingdom of God. That can cause your vision to, to be eroded. And listen, your vision doesn't improve when it's disengaged. That's why during this time, it is so crucial that we pray, that we stay in touch with each other. You stay in contact with your pastor. Amen? You have to be engaged with your money as well. You know, we, the, the, Jesus said that the abundance of your heart, right? What's in your heart you're going to give your money to. That's where your treasure is at. That's what you're going to give your, your hard labor to, which represents your life. It could be also your vision has been affected or damaged due to injury. Things in life happen to you. And it's very easy for, for you to not see things the way you used to, to see things the way you ought to because of damage, because of injury, because of uh, uh, being hurt by somebody. Someone says something to you and it affects you for the rest of your life. Amen? Be careful on, on what you speak to people and what you also listen to in those times. Maybe you've had setbacks and disappointments, depression, and it makes, you, makes it hard to see from a heavenly perspective. 
It could even be a season where the devil's just really tormenting you. You ever have that? You do. Listen, he doesn't kick a dead dog. There's a reason for that. And it's probably because, you're again, you have a purpose in your life. He, he knows what that purpose is. He doesn't want you to accomplish it. So he's going to try to affect your vision so you don't. Last thing I want to look at is restoring vision. The first thing we need to do is we need to look up. So many times we're focused on something right here, right? that we don't see anything. It's like we have blinders on our, on our eyes. We don't see it. It's all around. It's there. But you're focused on it. A problem. It's, it's, it's wrenching your brain. It's captivated your attention. It's, it's sapping uh, you know, your, 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 your life from you sometimes, it feels like. And what you just have to do is look up because that's not all that your life is, is encompassed about with. Amen? Amen? A friend of mine is a farmer said... Uh, uh, don't, don't look at the crows, look at the corn. Look at the fruit. Look at what God has done. It's so easy to look and, and, and tally up all the things that aren't happening. All the things that are occurring in a way you wish they wouldn't. But what about the things where God did a miracle? We still serve a same God, amen, that can still do miracles, that can still come through for us. You know what? He never got COVID-19. It's not like he's locked up in heaven and now he can't get out and if he does, he's going to wear a mask and gloves and, you know, he's going to watch how he moves around. No! He knows what's going on. He allowed it. Maybe he allowed it to sharpen vision. Maybe he allowed it to deepen vision. Maybe he allowed it to cause people to see what really matters. To think outside the box. To pray more. To get more in the Word of God. How many of you oh, I don't have time to pray. There you go. COVID-19. I don't have time to read the Bible. There you go. What is she going to use now? Oh, my cares. We always come up with a new one, don't we? They're not good ones. Listen, there's practical things, spiritually practical things you can do to restore your vision or to sharpen your vision or to strengthen your vision. You guys know a lot of these already. But so just for the, 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 the satisfaction of those who maybe they don't know, I'm just give you a hint here. Faithful to prayer and Bible reading. Let God himself and his word shape your vision and repair your vision. Hallelujah. Don't just punch a time clock. Maybe you have a Bible reading plan. Okay? Don't just... <sighs> All right. I got to read Psalms 111 today. Bloody, 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 blood. Check. Done. You know? Don't, don't do that. Listen, I understand the begats can get boring. But you know what's in some of the begats? Some crazy stuff. You know? My wife and I were reading, we were talking about this, and so-and-so began so-and-so, and God killed him. <laughs> what? I thought it was in the begats. How does the writer know that God killed him? And so now I start wanting to know about him. What, why did God kill him? Because I don't want to be that guy. Right? It'll say just these obscure things in there that if you're not paying attention and reading for, for quality, right, you're just doing to check the box, you miss. You know, rich stuff that makes you think, well, why do you think I put it in there? Not just to wake you up because you were stuck in the begats, but because he killed a guy. Why? 
what was bad about that guy, you know? So I don't be that guy, and I don't do that stuff. And, you know, where it talks about some kid, people's kids. You're reading in Kings, and it talks, and it's like, oh, and this guy followed God, and he did all these things except that. Okay, that should be a, a note for us. Wait a minute. Am I serving God in all these things except something? Because you read those things about those kings, it doesn't end well with them. It's not like God is saying they're good guys. He's, when he says, accept that, that's almost like that's the glaring thing that God noticed about that person's life. Well, I don't want God to, oh, Nickerson in good here, here. Except this. Big circle, red X, big F on that grade. When you read and pray, seek quality over quantity. Amen? There's a famous preacher, your pastor probably has said this before, Smith Wigglesworth, and he said, I may not pray for more than 20 minutes at a time, but I don't like 20 minutes go by where I haven't prayed. Why? He was thinking about God. He had his mind, his vision fastened upon God. You have to detach from those whose vision is impairing your own. Maybe you've developed some unhealthy spiritual relationships and you'd be honest and say, you know what? They're not good for me. They've not helped me. That's hard. That's hard when it's relatives. That's hard when it's friends you've had for a long period of time. You know? Maybe you need to lessen the time you spend with those people or not let them speak into your life so much. Don't be unequally yoked. That's not just a verse for marriage, you know. That's a verse for any relationship. If they're pulling you away from God and you don't have the strength to pull back, then get out of that yoke. Now listen, if you're married, you can't get divorced for that reason. Sorry, y'all. Don't do that. Don't go to your pastor and say, we're unliquidly yoked. I quit. You know, tend to take off your shoe and go, I divorce you, divorce you, divorce you. Yet, you have to be sanctified. Watch where you go. Watch what you give your eyes and ears to and what you touch. Your thought life. Amen? You have to capture your thoughts. So many people, I just can't do it. What are you, what is causing you to be so distracted that you cannot take ownership of your own thoughts? They're your thoughts. They're not the devil's. They're not anyone else's. They're your thoughts. We're commanded to take captive our thoughts. Philippians 4.8. Here's something you can use as very practical, and this can be used as a test for anything. If you have a doubt, if it's good. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think about these things or on these things. That is what you can use to test things if you're in doubt. Is it of good report? Is it holy? Is it pure? No. Don't put your mind on it. Don't allow it to take your thoughts captive, but instead, you captivate your thoughts. You guide your thoughts. You have to lead your own heart, and when you do, your vision will adjust and become aligned as well. You have to set your mind on things that are above and not things that are on the earth. Now listen, that doesn't mean you don't pay attention to like getting up in time to go to work, you know, putting gas in your car, Getting your car fixed when you see all the lights blinking and the tires flat. The angel's not going to come and fix that stuff, y'all. You're going to do that yourself. So 
Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's the proper application of that. It says in John 4.35, Do not say there are still four months and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. There's a harvest field already here. You know, this, this whole COVID-19 thing, I think it has brought people to their knees. People whose hearts were hard as rock, who thought they were in control of their lives, now that has been stripped away. They're calling out to God. Their hearts are ready. They're tender. The things that you have, the seeds of the gospel that you've put into them, your prayers that you've watered those seeds with, they're going to come to fruition. That's up to us to come and reap that harvest. Amen? Don't look at the crows. Start looking at the corn. Look at what God can do. Amen? And the awesome thing is this, is God will supernaturally restore our vision. Ask God. Say, God, I need you to do some eye surgery on me. I need you to focus. God, I can remember the the things that, that I once said to you I would do, but I haven't really been thinking about that that much. Things you said to your brothers, your wife, your pastor. You know what? I have a vision for this. Do you still? If not, why not? So God, restore my vision for that. Amen? Here is God in Genesis 15, 5. He goes to Abraham, and it's part of the promise he gives Abraham. And he says, then he, being God, brought him outside, and he said, look now towards heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. You know what? That is something that Abraham must have held on to the rest of his life. Think of that. You ever try counting stars? You ever try counting grains of sand on an ocean beach? I haven't because after picking up some, I was like, you know what? I can't do this. There's too many just in my hand. But that is a promise, a vision that God gave Abraham that he never let go of. What vision has God given you? What has he spoken to you? What promises has he he given you? You need to look towards those things. Perhaps you need to get refilled with the Holy Spirit. After all, the vision comes from him. Amen? Allow him to fill you to overflowing again, to empower you again, to fulfill the vision that he's given you, to complete purpose. Let him refocus your eyes, your spiritual eye. I close with this, Joel 2, 28 through 29. It says, Show shall come to pass after thou pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my maidservants and, or manservants and maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. You know what? We've been living in this time. The church age. We've been living in this time where God has been pouring out his spirit, giving visions and dreams to us. He didn't do that just so, just because he had nothing else to do, but it's for a reason, for us to follow in there, to align our lives, to, to plan our lives in that way. Amen? You know, our country's starting to open again. Now is the time to strike when the iron is hot. Now is the time to, to put in the sickle and reap the harvest. Amen? Because people forget way too soon and harden their hearts. And we don't want to let that slip away. Listen, we need to nurture and protect the vision that God has given us. It's every single person's responsibility. No one can do it for you. I mean, pastors try to preach, we pray for each other, but really what it comes down to it, it's each individual believer's responsibility to take care of that vision.
to take care of that fire that God has given you and to feed it and to keep it alive and to cause it to grow. Amen? That's all I have tonight. If we bow our heads, close our eyes in respect to God.